It's Good Canada. I'm Peyton Smith, and this is The Stew. With Canada's food system continuing to grow and innovate, understanding what information is credible, who to trust, and how to feed ourselves and our families can be incredibly confusing. That's why I'm here, to share relevant information on food topics you care about most with the help of experts. Nita Sharda is a registered dietitian, proud South Asian woman, mom, and co-founder of Happy Healthy Eaters, and she maintains her own private practice counseling patients. Her interest in food was sparked when she was a little girl. She would often spend time in the kitchen admiring her mother's touch with Indian cuisine. It was the time she spent working at her family's convenience store that eventually led her to pursuing a career in dietetics. Apart from this, her favorite nutrition topics include PCOS, digestive health, infant nutrition, and picky eating. You can learn more about Nita by visiting at Nita underscore Sharda or at Happy Healthy Eaters over on Instagram. Let's dive in. If you could please introduce yourself, where you're talking to us from, and share your pronouns. Absolutely. My name is Nita Sharda. I am a registered dietitian. I live uh, right in the middle of Canada in a humble city called Winnipeg, aka Winterpeg in Manitoba. Mm-hmm. Um, in the prairies and my pronouns are she um, and her. Thanks Nina and we're so glad to have you on today and today we're going to talk about the food that we eat every day, the labels on it and what we should be looking for. I know that when I walk into the grocery store I'm immediately overwhelmed by all the labels and the choices. There's natural, fat-free, etc, etc And I actually noticed that there's even more labels every time I enter the grocery store on items that I've been purchasing for years. It's honestly so confusing, and I thought we would just simply break down some of these labels and the food choices with you, our expert. So I am going to warn you, as well as our audience, I'm going to jump all over the place today with this interview. I have so many different questions and so many different topics, and... Um, I just kind of wanted to cover them all. So it will be a little bit all over the place, but I promise we'll get some good content in there. So to start, a really popular label, natural. When I see that, is it good? Is it bad? What's the difference? Are those foods healthier for us? Break it down. Yeah, totally. And I kind of want to go back to the point about being a consumer, it is really overwhelming when you're in a grocery store with so many labels. And that natural label is very... um, interesting and can definitely be really um, deceiving for some people. In fact, some grocery stores even have like a natural aisle now, like Mm -hmm. a whole, you know, a whole section. Um, But then it's, you know, ironically, like the produce section, you you don't really see a lot of natural signage there. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Um, One of the things that I think Canadians can feel a little bit comfort in is that the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, and maybe going forward, I'll um, use the acronym CFIA, they do have some rules to prevent companies from like arbitrarily using the term and abusing it. Um, So right now, the foods that um, are allowed to have a natural label, um, it's only if they are in like you know, pretty much their original form or or haven't been processed significantly. Okay. Um, the caveat is that companies are allowed to use natural ingredients on mm. the marketing in cases where the product contains some natural ingredients. And this can often give consumers the false impression that all the ingredients in the product are natural. Right. People can think a little bit about fruit snack gummies, right? Um mm-hmm. 
So, you know, they could probably like sneak that in somewhere because maybe there's ingredients that are natural, such as like the colors or the flavor. Okay, so next one, fat-free labels. Should we be avoiding fat? Should we look for those fat-free labels? Should we not look for them? Tell us. Totally. Um, that was really popular, especially like in the 90s, a huge low-fat craze. And um, I think it's interesting to see, you know, some of these like quote-unquote diets like pop back um, in. Mm -hmm. The first message is like, I don't think Canadians need to be afraid of fat. And instead of focusing on the volume of fat, I usually encourage folks to, you know, switch from quantity to quality of fat. And so just mm -hmm. encourage clients to look for um, foods that are lower in saturated fat um, and then higher in those unsaturated fatty acids. Um, and working with a dietitian to get educated can be really, really helpful. Now that fat-free label, again, the CFIA does a really great job of um, setting parameters around who and what product can use that claim. So it's quite specific. So if the product has less than 0.5 grams of fat per serving of stated size, then they can say that they are fat-free. Um, and so it's definitely not super, um, you know, clear cut for for consumers in terms of like healthy fat versus less healthier fat options. But um, there are parameters set in place if companies are wanting to use that label. And of course, there are groups of people that maybe if they are living with um, a specific, um, you know, genetic issue with their cholesterol or maybe cardiac issues, it might be of interest for them to look for lower fat foods. But in general, and, and certainly in my household, we enjoy a lot of full fat dairy and, and full fat products, because I think that fat plays a really important role in that it carries a lot of flavor. It makes us feel full for a lot longer. Um, and I often find, um, like, because of the nature of fat, I find those foods that do contain higher amounts are actually the foods that bring me a lot of joy. So right mm -hmm. now I have two really young children. We have whole milk in my fridge and I'm just loving life because I really like the thicker whole milk. Um, and I really haven't noticed um, any negative impact to my health since making that transition. Okay. I, I'm with you on the full fat products. I can't do the whole milk, all the power to you if that makes you happy, but I'm one that I refuse to go with a low fat sour cream. If I'm going to eat sour cream, I'm going full fat. It just, it brings me joy. Like you said, it just tastes so much better. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever tried the higher fat yogurt options too? No, are they good? They're really good. Yeah. And yeah. again, like a little goes a long way. Right. Um, some of the coconut flavors are really, really lovely. Um, they're beautiful. Cool. Okay. So we talked about CFIA, um, but is there anybody else who regulate, regulates all these labels? Can, for the most part, the marketing divisions of those companies producing these foods just put whatever they want on the packaging? Are there rules? Like, other than CFIA, who regulates it? I believe for the most part, it is actually the CFIA. Okay. Um, I think consume, or the, the folks that are actually producing the products um, can definitely use different marketing strategies to add additional labels. So I think you know one of the ones that you've talked to talked about in the past in previous mm -hmm. episodes is the uh, the the fancy butterfly, the non-GMO project, mm -hmm. right? Often like 
you see all these um, claims on a product about what it is not rather than, you know, educating consumers about like what the product actually is and what's right. in it. So it's very interesting. And um, I think it, it, it alludes to this whole idea that, you know, as a society, we tend to, you know, integrate a lot of fear into people. And um, I always remind my patients in sessions, like, you know, we never usually as humans make the best decision when we're coming from a place of fear. Um, right. And so trying to, trying to, to make food choices and feed yourself from a place of trust can make all the difference. Um, yeah. And another example is fiber. I love talking a little bit about fiber. So um, if a product, if you want, if you want, like you could kind of close your eyes and imagine a granola bar, um, you can only claim that the granola bar is a very high source of fiber if it has a minimum of six grams of fiber. And then if it has uh, four grams of fiber, then you could say, hey, I'm a high source of fiber. And then if the granola bar had two grams, you can say good source. So good, high, very high. They, there's pretty strict regulations around who can and cannot be using those labels. So I think that that helps and, and can maybe reassure Canadians that there is a body that's, you know, monitoring for this. Just because you brought up that example, I have to ask. So should we be looking for granola bars that have six grams of fiber? Is that something we should be yeah. seeking at the grocery store? It's going to be pretty hard to find options okay. um, that are <clears throat> that have six grams um, unless you, you know, you have a lot of cool ingredients like inulin and, and sort of like a lot of extra fibers in there. But, you know, I generally will encourage folks to try to find something with at least three to four grams of fiber. Um, for those of you that are listening that have really young children, um, that's going to be tough to do without nuts. And unfortunately, most schools in Canada are, are nut free. Mm -hmm. um, so in that case, like just do your best, right? You know, compare labels and try to get a bit of fiber um, from your granola bar if you can. And I why? Like, uh, why do we seek out that amount of fiber? Yeah, so um, fiber has a whole host of benefits. And what we know about the current research is that Canadians are not doing so great when it comes to um, eating the recommended amount of, of fiber. Okay. Um, and so we're supposed to aim for somewhere between 25 to 30 grams per day. And most of us are getting about 16 grams of fiber. So not doing so well. And fiber can have a whole host of benefits from, you know, it, it helps to delay gastric emptying, which is a fancy way of saying it keeps us full for a lot longer. <laughs> it slows down the release of sugar into the bloodstream. And fiber plays a in very interesting role in, um, in our gut. It can help with, you know, folks that are feeling like they have loose motion all the way to constipation, but it also can help to lower cholesterol, um, reduce risk of colon cancer, and is very, very heart healthy. I'm, I, I think in every like patient session at some point, like I will talk to you about fiber and how to get um, more fiber into your diet. Okay. It's on the list. I yeah. will definitely think about that the next time I'm buying groceries. Um, and Speaking about not quite meeting our needs, uh, my next question is, if we're honest with ourselves, or I know if I'm honest with myself, um, I assume that most people struggle to get the daily recommended intake of veggies, or at least struggle to get there consistently every day. And there's so many convenient forms of veggies, um, canned, frozen, dried alternatives, et cetera, et cetera. But is fresh always better, or should we strive to eat veggies, period? What should we be doing there? 
first of all, no, not at all. Like if you can access fresh produce and that's your preference, go for it. But if we are thinking a little bit about what's happening in our current, you know, economic state in yeah. Canada, like food prices are rising. And so a lot of families are having to, um, you know, experiment a little bit more with frozen fruits and vegetables. And I'm always sort of enamored when I'm in that section of the grocery store, because like now I can buy like frozen mango and passion fruit and papaya and butternut squash. Whereas before it was just like peas and French fries and I think like carrots. Yeah. And so um, what I want folks to understand is that frozen and canned um, can often be um, the, the same in terms of nutritional quality and in some cases even more nutrition. So if we think a little bit about canned tomatoes, um, somehow through the canning process, they're actually higher in um, lycopene, which is a great antioxidant. So it's very, very interesting. Tomato paste has a little bit more iron in it as well. So I think that um, sometimes we get stuck in this mindset that anything that's like not fresh um, um, or is canned is, is, is quote unquote bad. And there's almost sort of this elitist culture around like around produce, which is absolutely ridiculous, right? We just want Canadians to enjoy um, fruits and vegetables. Whatever you have access to is perfectly fine. And I would give you the same message around um, organic versus conventional too, um, which is a whole other topic. But I think that, yeah, we, we can be really grateful that we have access to that. And maybe one other thing that I'd love to add is I'm I'm Punjabi and my parents immigrated to Canada. And so for me, I love that we can get frozen okra. Mm. And there's a lot of like outside of just like frozen vegetables, like there's frozen naan for when I don't want to make it fresh. And, you know, what a privilege that is for, for me, but also for other Canadians who want to try, you know, other ethnic cuisine as well. So I think it's, it's, amazing to be able to rely a little bit on um, frozen foods. Well, and I'm sure you said you have two little ones at home from a convenience standpoint, sometimes just getting veggies in them, I would assume is uh, just the best way to do it no matter what form the veggies are. Absolutely. Okay. So even to build on that, what does local mean? Is it something that we should explore? Is it something we should only buy? What does local mean to you and what should we be doing? So surprise, surprise, there is a formal definition for a local food. Okay, got it. Um, and so their sort of label is that it's anything grown within the same province or within 50 kilometers of its border. Um, so local, I think, too, can mean different things to different people. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty in some cases, it's going to be really unrealistic for me and my family to make sure everything is local. So for example, the okra probably does come from other countries um, and that's okay, but I definitely do my best to purchase local as much as possible. And I'm often surprised at how much is local. So right now, like our cabbage, our onion, garlic, so much fresh produce at the grocery store is actually um, produced, you know, fairly close to my city. Um, And something else, I'll I'll do myself or encourage others is to look for that uh, product of Canada label. So mm-hmm. if, um, sometimes there's it, sometimes it's not a logo and sometimes it just says product of Canada and then that typically means that it was produced and packaged here. And then sometimes it might say made in Canada. So that I believe is um, you know some of the processing or like putting of 
putting together was done in Canada, but maybe the ingredients were from a different country. So I definitely try to to look for that when I can. And again, I think um, given sort of how vast Canada is, it, it, it's going to be difficult to assume or, or strive for this, you know, everything needs to be local. Like we're not going to get local okra and bitter melon and passion fruit here, but I'll take the onion and carrots and celery. Yeah. Do what you can kind of based on where you live. Yeah. 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 Okay. The next one, I see sweet potatoes are encouraged in a lot of clean eating recipes and are they better for us than white potatoes? Mm-hmm. No, not at all. So, okay. but they are, they are different. They have a bit of different, you know, profiles, but I'd say that they're both very, very nutritious. They're both affordable. They can both be used like fairly like interchangeably in recipes too. So my favorite way to have shepherd's pie is actually with a sweet potato topping. Oh, cool. um, okay. Yeah, and sweet potato um, is you know that bright orange color, and it gets that from the beta carotene, which is the which are um, which is vitamin A, and and then you know our humble white potato is also uh, really high in this interesting you know starch called resistant starch, which can be really great for our gut. It's high in vitamin C and potassium, so there's still quite a bit of nutrition um, in white potatoes. And I think too, like we need to kind of like have an ode to the white potato. It took it took Canadians through like a major famine, you know, and so white potatoes are fine, um, absolutely fine. And then to even pick apart my previous question, I see clean eating all over TikTok and Instagram and my phone. What does clean eating mean? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of confusion around that. And it's definitely a super ambiguous term and open to a lot of interpretation. And a lot of dietitians like myself who are in support of intuitive eating, you know, we believe that it's sort of a term that has been co-opted by um, by diet culture. And so clean eating is this idea or sort of this lifestyle approach to food that promotes the consumption of like, quote unquote, clean food um, that's maybe raw, unprocessed or organic, natural, real. But I mean, I think it's just all very silly. Um, you know, clean to me is like, you've washed it. There's like, and it's, and it's like, and it's clean versus like rotten and moldy or that it's dirty. Right. Um, and so I think that we can easily get swayed into this like clean eating, um, that's promoted by like the wellness industry, but really like there's like no such thing as clean eating. You know, most of the food that we're eating at the grocery store is is clean, right? It's safe and it's clean. Okay. So not something we should strive towards or click on that recipe necessarily, but it doesn't mean it's bad. It's just not something we should definitely go towards. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think again, like if, if you're struggling, like just trying your best to, um, not label foods as good, bad, clean, not clean, like is a great way to continue to foster that trust with food and and your body. Okay. So this one might be a tough one. I don't know. Should we pay attention to Canada's food guide? I feel like it changes often. Are we supposed to keep up with it? Is it accurate? Is it efficient and accessible? Does it make sense to use that um, as we're planning out our meals? 
Yeah, yeah, it has changed quite a bit. I think, you know, when when I was a lot younger in school, it was sort of this like a rainbow and now it's more of a plate method. And admittedly, I quite like the plate method because I think that to some degree, most cultures are eating foods in this way where, you know, we're getting, you know, carbohydrates and whole grains, we've got protein um, and then fats and fibers. Um, and so I, I think it really just depends on each individual admittedly, like in my practice, I rarely pull it out as a tool. Um, with some folks, I might use it because it's a great visual. Um, and so I think it really just depends on each individual. And um, there is quite a bit of science and a lot of research that goes behind that document. So I also don't want folks to feel like it was one person that came up with it. It's actually like a whole team, a national team. There's a lot of um meetings and deliberations and things that take place to create this product. Um, and so I think if you find it useful, go ahead, you know, rely on it a little bit. It's just a guide. It's not meant to be prescriptive. Um, but if you feel like you've got a good handle on things and you're appreciating the way that you're eating, then maybe it's not for you. It's, it's totally different for each individual. And if you have a very specific dietary need, then it's probably not going to be helpful. In that case, you might need to work uh, a bit more one-on-one -on -one with someone to support you in your nutrition goals and needs. Okay. I genuinely don't know if I want to hear this answer from you, but as the expert dietitian, I am going to ask, what is one food that you feel every Canadian should be eating? And what's one food that we should all just stay far away from? Okay, so this was really difficult for me to um, answer. And, and I want to maybe like have a preamble in that there's like no one food that is inherently that good for you or that bad for you. Right, right. Eat tons of it or avoid it. Um, so what I did was I was thinking back to like, okay, what am I telling my patients? Like when they come in, like what are some like common foods I'm often encouraging them that they're maybe a little bit surprised by? Um, and it's not going to work for everyone because they can be highly aller allergenic. But one food mm -hmm. that I think that folks can try to enjoy more of if, if, if they're able to are nuts and seeds and there's so many varieties within nuts and seeds so whether it's almonds or walnuts or cashews or flaxseed which is grown like a lot in Canada pumpkin seeds um, definitely trying to have more nuts and seeds can be great and the reason why I picked it is you know I thought okay protein tons of minerals really good fiber and super tasty and versatile as well um, admittedly some of them are a little bit more on the pricey side but seeds can definitely be a bit more um, cost effective mm -hmm. and then when it comes to like one food to stay away from like I really couldn't think of anything because I I truly am a believer that all foods can fit and um, that again like there's no one food that anyone should avoid unless it's poisonous or unless you're allergic to it or it's moldy and gone bad Okay. I was really worried there that you're going to like name one of my favorite foods or something that I just wasn't supposed to go towards anymore. No, no, no. We can still be friends. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Um, so if anyone in our audience is interested in becoming part of the dietitian profession, do you have any suggestions or recommendations on how to get there? Any particular schools or programs? Any advice? Yeah, you know what, this, the programming has changed quite a bit since I graduated, certainly in Manitoba. Um, I think it's a really interesting profession and it's growing quite a bit in Canada as well. Um, and like I, I, 
I was quite young when I knew I wanted to be a dietitian. I think I remember I was in high school. I was about 16. So I feel really fortunate that I um, selected a career path that really spoke to me. And to this day, I love my job every single day. Um, and so it might be helpful for folks who are interested in you know exploring dietetics to maybe shadow a few different types of dietitians because some of us work in clinical, public health, more policy development, media and communication. So it's quite vast, very, very diverse and totally just depends on what you're interested in. And, you know, I will add too, it is quite competitive to get into the dietetic internship. And so, you know, thinking a little bit about what you want out of your program, what you have to offer the program will also be really important. They often look for a lot of um, experience and volunteering um, outside of just, you know, how you're scoring academically. Um, but like, I've never had a moment, you know, in my I think I've been practicing since 2009. Um, I've never had a moment where I was like, oh, why did I become a dietitian? I've always just like appreciated my work. Um, and, and I think in healthcare, not everyone gets to say that. Um, but I'm so fortunate that that's my narrative. Yeah, I think that's incredible that you have yeah. from the very beginning and to up until now anyways, enjoyed your profession though. So that definitely for our audience, if somebody wants to go into the dietitian profession, that definitely speaks to that yeah. it would be a good career path. So that's good. Yeah, I love it. Good. Okay. So final question, something we ask every guest on the stew, this can, but it doesn't have to be related to our topic today. If you had the ears of every single Canadian, what do you wish they knew about the Canadian food system? Yeah, I think, so, I mean, I've, I've listened to a few other episodes, but I think it's similar to what other folks have said in that, like our food is safe and, you know, Canada truly is world renowned. I mean, parts of the world look to us um, for support in agriculture. And what I've kind of learned from like my farming and agriculture colleagues and peers is that we really are doing a lot of groundbreaking research and, um, you know, a lot of movements towards having, um, a really great food supply system for Canadians. So, you know, I would really just hope that Canadians feel validated that our food system is safe. Um, and of course, there's always tweaks that need to be made to, to food systems, but for the most part, you know, we're, we're very, very fortunate to be in a country that has, you know, quite a bit of access to food and a country that can grow food. Um, and, and we feed the rest of the world too. <laughs> It is quite impressive what we get done in our country. Yeah, yeah. So thank you so much for your time, Nita. I don't know if our audience probably has 14 million more questions since our conversation, but hopefully we covered a few um, top and popular questions about our food system and the food choices and labels that are in our grocery stores. So um, have a great day and uh, thank you for your time. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. That was a great conversation with Nita. And one of my biggest takeaways is that the food system and what we eat is complicated. Nita, who does this on a daily basis, still doesn't have good or bad foods, right or wrong answers. It's basically what you can afford for your families, what's accessible in your own grocery stores, and what fits into your daily lives. And for more on The Stew, please check into our next episode next week. Mm -hmm.